In both the First Testament reading from Ruth and in our Gospel lesson today, widows are featured. To be a widow in either of these time periods was to be at the mercy of those around you. Women's social security came in marriage. When Naomi's husband died, as we read in the beginning of the book of Ruth, it would have been expected that her sons would have taken her in. But her sons also died. And so she said to her two daughters-in-law, go back to your people in hopes that you might find someone there to care for you. And I will go back to my people in hopes that there will be someone there to care for me. Now Orpah, who was one of the daughters-in-law, did just that and returned to her people. But Ruth insisted that she stick with Naomi and traveled back to Naomi's homeland, which meant that Ruth was not only a widow, but now a foreigner. They went back to Naomi's homeland in hopes of finding a next of kin that would provide for them. In our gospel lesson today, we read of the widow who puts all that she has, two coins, into the treasury of the temple. Now we can look at both of these stories, all three of these women, and say, wow, see how they suffered so nobly. We can also look at these lessons and say, wow, what was it in the social structures that made it so difficult for these two women to survive? And how did the religious structures play into this difficulty? You see, in our gospel lesson today, Jesus has a real problem with the collusion of the temple with the wrongdoings of society. He seems to have even more of a problem with it because it relies on people's spiritual sensibility to take advantage of them. As you see in our gospel lesson today, in verse 40, Jesus speaks about the scribes who devour widows' houses. And in the very next verse that follows the lesson that we read today, Jesus says that the temple will be destroyed, this very temple for which the woman has put in all that she has to live on. So when we read these passages of scripture in relationship with one another, we, it is highlighted to us Jesus' disgust with the abuse of religious authority. When I read this passage from Mark, I think, oh, I don't want Jesus to say this about St. Stephen's. Now, I don't know enough to venture a guess about what Jesus might say about St. Stephen's. But I do know you all well enough to know that you share the same desire as me. And that desire is that religious authority is not abused. You too, like me, want people to experience the church as a means of experiencing the loving kindness of God. We share that same desire. And you can count on me to be consistently dedicated to making sure that the church doesn't abuse its power. To illustrate this point, I'll tell you of a couple that I married in Montclair, New Jersey. The woman had come to the church and said that she would like to have her wedding there. And I said, that would be fine. 
You only need to be members of the church. And she said, well, what does that mean? I said, it means that you attend worship with some regularity and that you commit to the ministry that we carry out together here by giving of your time, talent, and treasure. Her husband had already said he wasn't interested in becoming an Episcopalian as he belonged to another denomination. But she said that she would indeed become a member of the church. And she did. She was a regular worshiper at 8 o'clock, and it was great to see her be a part of the parish life. Well, on the Saturday that they were married, before the ceremony took place, I was in a room with the groom and several of the groomsmen, and I said to the groom, so you guys will be at church tomorrow morning, right? And he stammered. I said, no, no, I'm just teasing, I'm just teasing. You're getting married today. You don't need to come to church tomorrow. It's all good. Well, at 8 o'clock the next morning, I was in the pulpit, and in through the back door comes the bride. And as I am in the pulpit, in my head, I am confessing. I am so sorry, God. It was just a joke. I thought she knew. I didn't mean to abuse my power, and if I didn't anyway, oh my gosh, please help me know how I can fix this. Well, I have to tell you that following worship, she came up to me, and the woman who, hap- who was standing beside me happened to have been the altar guild person on, um, that assisted with her wedding. And so this woman came and said, I just wanted to come today to tell you all thank you. She is the first and only bride who's shown up the day after her wedding <laughs> to say thank you. Any institution has to be careful about its use of its power. And the church whose charge it is to serve Christ has to be particularly careful. Service seems to be in direct contrast to power. So it is good to imagine the effectiveness in communicating the good news of God in Christ Jesus by using our authority to care for those who are downtrodden, the weak, the powerless, the poor, the sick, the lonely. Because the church does still have at least some authority in society, we must make sure to consider the needs of the downtrodden. I cannot think of any rewarding real aspect of entering into the difficulties that these folks live in, except for one. Christ is there. And in responding to those in need, we will see the life-giving Lord in a new way. This past week, I've been digging for how it is that we, as the people of St. Stephen's, can help those who've been most severely affected by Superstorm Sandy. I haven't even brought this to the attention of the mission committee yet because I don't have anything to share with them. But when I saw Bishop Laura just a few days ago, I told her, we have to be responding. We're the church. People will notice. They'll notice if we respond, and they'll notice if we don't. My only comfort on not yet having a clear way to enlist you good people in this important work is that I know the recovery will be long, and there will be many opportunities to help in the weeks and months ahead. As Christians, people do notice how it is that we respond to difficult situations. They do notice how we respond to those in need. I remember some time ago I was walking across a parking lot with the presiding bishop, 
former presiding bishop. It was just he and I going from one building to the next. There weren't many people out in the parking lot, but there were two, both near the doors, who had injuries, visible injuries, one with a cast on her arm and the other with crutches. And it struck me that in both instances, he went out of his way to ask after them and how they were doing. And I thought, well, that's interesting. He hasn't seen them before, and he probably will not ever see them again. But then it dawned on me that he was the former presiding bishop, and that people would notice if he didn't notice them. People know that you are a Christian. How do they see reflected in you God's loving kindness? I don't think we need to strive for perfection, but I'm only asking how it is that each of us practices in our own lives things that in case someone catches a glimpse of it, they might see a reflection of the loving kindness of God made known in Christ. Next week, we'll practice our in-gathering Sunday. And as you see in your announcement leaflet, you're invited to bring food for the food pantry. I wonder how it is that we can participate in this event in such a way that we demonstrate the abundance of God. How, through non-perishable goods, can we show the loving kindness of God made known in Jesus Christ? Perhaps that can be your prayer as you go grocery shopping this week. How is it that we can show, through non-perishable goods, the loving kindness of God in Jesus Christ? How can we show folks that the church is not an institution that sucks the life out of people, but instead imparts life to people? In the story of Ruth, we see that God does not forget those two widows. God's faithfulness, God's loving kindness, is made evident in a distant kinsman's willingness to do what the closest of kin is not able to do, to take Ruth as his wife and fulfill the need of parentage in order to maintain the deceased's name. Boaz marries Ruth and thus commits to providing for both Ruth and Naomi for the rest of their lives. Ruth and Boaz's son is Obed, who is the father of Jesse, who is the father of David, that is, King David, from whom Jesus is a descendant. When we encounter someone in need, we would do well not to incarcerate them with our disdaining judgment but instead to use our position of authority to consider how we might serve God in the moment. How can we become an agent of God's loving kindness so that the downtrodden, the poor, the sick, the lonely, the weak, and the powerless, so that they know that God has not forgotten them? By doing this, we become co-operators with God we operate in the way that God operates, offering loving kindness to those who are forgotten by the greater society. Amen. <laughs>